Welcome to Hamsterdam. We're recording this on August 2nd, which means it is officially the month of preseason football camps. We finally turned the page on another calendar. Camp yeah. is like a week away and it's glorious. It's. I posted this on Facebook earlier today. We're recording this on Sunday, August 2nd. This is the last Sunday of the year without football because NFL preseason starts next week. I think Saturday it starts Saturday. We've we pretty much this is the uh this is we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mhm. And uh like this preseason, I have a lot of reason to watch preseason NFL football. It's always it's always an exciting time. Yeah. Just for for me for no other reason than there's just football on my screen. Oh, it's so nice. There's so much hope. It's like I don't want to get into the weird analogy I was going to make, but it's preseason football is the best because a it sets you up for fantasy football. It makes you believe that you can do well in fantasy football. Of course. Uh, and winning this one fantasy league I'm in that I've been in for like eight years with my high school friends is like my white whale. <laughs> uh, two, I'm in, I'm a minority owner of the Green Bay Packers, so I was like saying how Very nice. my literal team is doing. Three, Marcus Mariota is getting like the highest praise ever out of fall camp. Did you expect anything less? Um, no. Apparently, he is. I saw like Rob Mosley just been killing it with like the retweets out of uh, Tennessee. Apparently, he spends a lot of time with kids after practice. Of which course, is, he does. Which is the most Mariota thing ever. Because he's like he's actually a saint in the form of a football player, which so. is like really disappointing that I will never be like Marcus Mariota. You know, I I, I I strive to do one thing every day that Marcus Mariota would do. <laughs> you know, I just people have those "What would Jesus do?" bracelets. I made myself a "What would Marcus do?" bracelet. WWMMD. Pretty much how I live my life. That's actually a really all live your lives. Yeah, um, and he. Oh yeah, there was also the tweet. Uh, hashtag NFL thinking. The fact that there were no red flags on Marcus Mariota was, was a red flag. Favorite Marcus. That was the most Marcus Mariota thing of all time. Like, and what, I just, what the hell are these NFL scouts doing? They, like, what is like, what is going on? Like, I know it's weird trouble. where they're like, I know it's weird that they they may even care about the Wonderlick test, which is maybe the dumbest thing of all time. Even the guy who made it up is like, no, this is actually a terrible idea. It's like, we shouldn't do this. And it just feeds into racism in general. Um, that's pretty much all it does. Uh, they will like, oh, they won't do a thorough investigation on Jameis Winston, apparently. Of course. Uh, they think that Marcus Mariota being... Like, St. Marcus is actually a problem. <laughs> He's literally too perfect. He's literally too perfect that there must be something wrong. Terribly wrong. Like, you know, he might be gay or something. He's got some skeletons. For the NFL. Oh, yeah, he might be He's gay, which is, like, crazy the skeletons. worst case scenario for an NFL team, apparently. PR uh, nightmare. Yeah. They'll, they'll bring on a guy who allegedly threw his girlfriend on a set of machine guns <laughs> over someone who is openly gay. So everything's relative, you know, cannot judge. Yep. Uh, and yeah, so cheering for Marcus Mariota in the preseason is going to be awesome. And then, of course, there's uh, number one overall draft pick, Jameis Winston. Who Famous Jameis. I am 
if you go back in the Addicted to Quack archives, you can tell I'm not a fan of Jameis Winston. <laughs> I don't even think he is that excellent of a quarterback, given that he threw like 18 interceptions last year. So, I think I, I saw something from ESPN Stats and Info, and Florida State was like first or second in the nation in turnovers last year. Hashtag the Jameis effect. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... And the funny thing is, so I remember when I, I did a Q&A article with uh, Tomahawk Nation prior oh, I'm to so the Rose sorry. Bowl. I'm so sorry. And, you know, and put my thoughts and opinions out there in, in hashtag FSU Twitter. And, you know, I said, I said, look, the game's probably going to come down to, it's going to go both ways. It's going to be pretty even for the first half. And then Jameis is just going to crumble and make a horrible mistake and make some stupid turnover because that's what he does. He just throws interceptions and loses the ball. And the way the fans defended him, they're like, well, you've clearly never watched a down of FSU football all year because it's not totally his fault. His, His receivers can't catch. And I was just like, you're right. I haven't watched a down of FSU football because I've got better things to do. Oh, shots fired. <sighs> shots fired. It's okay because they'll they'll just they'll just you know they'll come back with oh, where's your national championship? I'm just so so immune to that by this point. Okay, well I watched almost every down of Florida State football last year because so I remember watching it and cheering against them because I pretty much hate them. I think mostly I cheer against them because of their obnoxious fans. Uh, and I remember just being so unimpressed. I call them a paper tiger like all playoffs. Yeah. And last year, two years ago, they got a ton of breaks, but they were also a really good team. So they, it kind of like evened itself out at some points where you had the talent to go with the breaks because you have to have a lot of breaks to win mm-hmm. a national championship. Um, and they did not have the talent this last year to make up for the mistakes. They played one good team, like one top team all year last year, and that was Oregon. Yeah. Like, maybe Clemson was the other best one, but, like, Clemson wasn't that good. And Notre Dame was, Notre Dame was average, and that was the other team, but, like, they constantly turned the ball over. It was it was just so obvious how how that game was going to go down. It wasn't yeah. going to be like it didn't take a rocket scientist to dissect it. Oh no, not at all. So yeah, and if you really care that much about a national championship that happened, like or I guess there was the one two years ago, but <laughs> forgot about that one. Fair point. <laughs> Damn it. I got got. Um, I, th- I guess that's mostly for Washington fans. Like, if you care that much about a, na- a half national championship, you won just because people said you were the best team ever. The thing I always say You're about not. Washington's last national championship, which was a split national title, if I recall correctly, it was a half. Yeah, ba- back in what nineteen ninety one. Yeah, the year of the year of my birth. Um, mm-hmm. It's been so long since UW has sort of won a title that the photo of them holding up the trophy is in black and white. Actually. So that's really all you need to know about that. I feel like at some point, like, the argument of, like, when you're 
like getting into it with teams and once they go like oh we have this many national championships it's just kind of like bowing down it's kind of yeah. just like the point where you're just yelling louder than the other person <laughs> loud noises yeah it's basically like the rick uh not the rick o'reilly the bill o'reilly where you just start yelling over someone and turn the other person's mic down it's like <laughs> this has no relevance at all to this discussion yeah uh so pac-12 north speaking of washington pac-12 north Pac-12. Uh, we'll do the Pac-12 South next week because that is one that is one conference that could go either way, except Colorado. Colorado will not win that conference. Uh, you don't you don't believe in miracles? Uh, I believe in miracles, just not the that. second coming of Jesus Christ this year. It's uh, pretty much what it would take. Yeah, so. This is how this is how ridiculous uh, the Pac-12 South looks. Utah has a chance to win. Uh, they have a chance of winning it. They have Travis Wilson, who's really experienced but makes mistakes at times. They have maybe they have arguably the best running back in the Pac-12. Uh, and they have a pretty solid defense. Um, then there's Arizona who beat Oregon last year before actually getting extremely wrecked in the Pac-12 championship game probably the best defensive performance I've ever seen by an Oregon team that was just that domination is how you describe that yeah and so but those two teams like Utah was on pace like until Joe Walker picked up the fumble and and scored a touchdown that looked like that. The first twenty minutes of that game were so in favor of Utah. It was astounding. I've never felt more defeated fifteen minutes into a game. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went down. It was like, oh god, this is gonna be our November disaster. Oh yeah, this is, this is how it's gonna go down, and they're gonna storm the field in Utah, and we're gonna have a, another November heartbreak. And I'm just gonna cry my eyes out again. Pretty much. Um. Yeah, so those are the teams that are picked to finish fourth and fifth in the Pac-12 South. And they, you could make the argument that they could they win could be, the Pac-12. They could be on top. Yeah, it's stacked. The North, we've got a little bit of a. I mean, I don't ever like to say easy because college football is a crazy game. Yes, but it's more manageable. I, I, would, I would rather be a team in the North this year than the South. Yeah. And it was funny to see because at one point I was like, at one point I was thinking like, wow, it's, it's we have to have Washington and Stanford and Cal like all in the same, all in the same like division. This is gonna be tough. I'd almost rather yeah. be in the South. Nope, not anymore. Um, not so much. Not so much. Not so fast. Uh, so, I think we can be honest with ourselves and proclaim a bias early, but I think we both have Oregon winning the Pac-12 North. That would be correct. As as the writers do. Uh, I think there are many valid reasons of why Stanford might win, which we'll get into. Um, we also talked a ton about Oregon last week, since this is addicted to quack. Uh, so, Oregon opens home, Eastern Washington, where I'm almost going to feel very badly for Vernon Adams if he isn't starting that game. I'm going to feel terrible for him. Uh, 
Then next week at Michigan State, next week home hosting Georgia State, who is actually surprisingly dangerous if you haven't been watching Georgia State football this last few years, which is fine because you probably have other things to do with your life that are more important. I don't, so I watch Georgia State football. (laughs) Uh, Then we're hosting Utah at Colorado, hosting Washington State uh, October 10th at Washington, um, looking for 13 in a row. Is that 13? This would be 12 in a row. This would be 12. Oh, yeah. 12 in a row by week before a Thursday night game at Arizona State. Uh, The next week we host Cal, which is very good, uh, which is excellent for reasons we'll get into when we pick uh, Cal next. Uh, At Stanford, November 14th, which is going to suck. Then hosting USC, November 21st before hosting Oregon State on a Friday, which is the day after Thanksgiving. Friday afternoon at Austin Stadium. Never a more magical place. Get your your Black Friday shopping in and go support your ducks. Right. We actually, yeah, we, uh, surprisingly easy to get extra tickets to the Oregon State game right now. Yeah. Um, but man, that, that stretch, Arizona State, at Arizona State, hosting California, at Stanford, hosting USC, that is a rough I mean, four I would, weeks. I would even put in. I would even throw into the group that Washington game, just because going to Seattle is always. I, I oh yeah, That's, I will always confidently pick Oregon to win when they play at Autzen Stadium. But I I will say this, and it it'll probably piss off a lot of people. But going to the Washington Oregon game the past couple of years, this was in old Husky Stadium, so I don't know how the atmosphere is in the new one. But the last time it was an Oregon-Washington game, it, it was it was fairly competitive for a while. Um, this is the one two years ago? This Yeah, this is the one where it was the last uh, the last game in their stadium before they moved out to renovate. Okay. Um, that that night, you know, call it the you know maybe it's because it's the last game of the year, last game there before they moved out. Maybe because it's Oregon, probably a mix of all things. That place was rocking, and literally and uh, literally figuratively. and figuratively, and which is why they're replacing it because it swayed so much and it scared it, people who broadcasted. It, it was actually a death trap. <laughs> um, yeah, I I would say that. Given the right environment and the right opponent, I would be I would be more afraid of playing in Husky Stadium than Austin Stadium. Um, I think it's a more intimidating venue when the atmosphere in the game is right, such as Oregon versus Washington, with a team and a fan base that's just out for blood every year. They might fail every year, but they're out for blood, and it creates a hell of a venue that is tough to win in no matter what so pretty much that whole stretch you know we've got Colorado and Washington State should be pretty easy but after that there's no there's no like on paper cakewalks really oh no Um, yeah I didn't include Washington in that stretch because there's a bye week right but yeah those five weeks even Washington State who if not for a missed Dior Mathis interception, that could have been a loss. Right. Uh, or, or a missed Dior Mathis pass interference. 
That, that game was closer than I would have liked. I was having a near breakdown at one point. So, yeah, Oregon was a 23-point favorite headed into that game. Barely got the win. Yeah, so we cannot have our offensive linemen get hurt again. Uh, yeah. Okay, we talked about the, uh, the Ducks a lot last week. Let's move on. I think we can both agree that Stanford is projected to come in second. That would be the consensus I've seen. Right, and so that that's even with uh, even the AP or the Pac-12 writers agree that Oregon was first. Here's the thing with Stanford. They have nine players back on offense. Mm-hmm. Kevin Hogan is back, and he's of in following Andrew Luck. I feel like he's really gone under the radar at just how good he is. Yeah, he's been there going into his third year as a starter, which is an incredible level. That's a lot of experience in college football. Yeah, I feel like when a guy's like going into his like third or fourth year as a starter, you just think. My God, has this guy been around since like the dawn of time? Because we're getting so used to seeing these guys who are around for one or two years, and and you get a consistent guy who's you know a solid leader year in and year out. Um, and that's, I mean, you can't you can't win without a, a solid quarterback. So that is something they've definitely got going for him. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. Even looking at his uh. Stats from last year. Meanwhile, Stanford plays really slow. They don't score that many points to begin with. So given like their points output and everything, this is pretty impressive. 65.9 completion percentage, 2,792 yards, 19 touchdowns, 8 interceptions for a QBR of 145.8. He also ran for 444 yards and after you take off 149 that he lost probably mostly due to sacks he was about 300 with five rushing touchdowns he is pretty dangerous and he did a lot of like qb power moves last year against oregon i remember right so i mean this especially in uh in on the farm as they as they say uh this is not an easy pick at all. Like, not at all. Whoa, I was hey. just going on to Kevin Hogan's Wikipedia page and or if you if you just Google Kevin Hogan and I don't know if this is just on my screen or the interwebs in general, but I know he's been around Stanford for a while, but apparently according to Wikipedia, which is a good source for everything, the dude was born Chicago, Illinois, November 1961. <laughs> I wonder, I'm Are you sure it's the right Kevin Hogan? Oh, it's the right Kevin Hogan. That's so funny. Yeah, he says it's a starting American football quarterback for the Stanford Cardinal, born November 1961. That's hilarious. Actually born October 1992, but it's funnier to think he was born in 61. Is that what it says? If you go on to, like, if you just Google Kevin Hogan and you know how it pulls in the Wikipedia thing on the right-hand side. Yeah. At least mine says born November 1961, Chicago, Illinois. So I want to have Scott out that eligibility. Well, I mean, all you have to do is, like, be in college. It, It doesn't matter, like, when you're born. 
He's just taking a really long time to get his Stanford class. Okay, mine says, born October 20th, 1992. How does it say something so different? I don't know. I'm posting it to Twitter, so it, it exists. Yeah, take a screenshot, because I want to see this, because I don't see it. So, meanwhile, down on the farm, while we're talking about Stanford here. Oh, yeah. So, it says in the snapshot that you see on the main page, is November 1961. Yep. If you go to the actual Wikipedia page itself, it says it has the right one. It's still funny to think about. And look at the books. Sorry for anyone who isn't on a computer right now. Look at the books that he's allegedly written. Covert Persuasion, Psychological Tactics to Win the Game, Irresistible Attraction, Hypnotherapy Handbook, The Science of Influence, Brainwashing, Mind Manipulation, The Science of Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, The 12 Factors of Business Success, The Science of Influence, like a revised version, Selling Yourself to Others, and The Secret Language of Business. Guy's a freaking genius. That is so funny that... Does anyone at Rule of Tree know about this? One, I of, the, hope one so. of the five people who read Rule of Tree. <laughs> and we can maybe find out who the one of 12 Stanford fans is that did this. Somewhere out there. God, that is so funny. Um, so if we've got the, uh, you know. Do you want to know? The 54 year old Kevin Hogan out there, we might have a chance. Do you want to know how deep this goes? People search Kevin Hogan. The people who search for Kevin Hogan also search for David Shaw, Tyler Gaffney, Ty Montgomery, Josh Nunez, and Dave Lacani. There we go. <laughs> Dave Lacani, who wrote like, uh, who writes like all these sales, business leadership type books. That's, that's amazing. That's a very Stanford thing right there. That's so, that's such a thorough joke. That's amazing. Uh, wow, great find. Um. All right, back to Stanford. Other back than Stanford. the myth we'll... of Kevin Hogan, that as far as you pass is anything else. Uh, take a look at this. Take a look at this. Uh, these two guys who are on offense. The names Sanders and McCaffrey. There's Barry Sanders Jr. and Christian Christian McCaffrey, who's the son of NFL great Ed McCaffrey. Just an alumni pair, but like the smart alumni, not like the dumb UCLA alumni. <laughs> the the genius alumni, the geniuses. Yeah, in the not, not the guys who swing kettlebells at strength yeah. trainers. So last year, Stanford failed to produce a thousand yard rusher for the first time since 2007. Meanwhile, they had an army of people who ran for over four, three, over 300. Yeah, they've got kind of that. You know, before before Royce Freeman emerged in the backfield and went off, you know, it, just because it's kind of a skewed stat, like just because you don't have a thousand yard rusher in your backfield, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just usually means you've got ridiculous depth, and you know, that's it, it's not it's not always a bad thing, especially at a position where every time you touch the ball, you're getting your world rocked. So. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's also like a football study hall did like tested um, leading like the number of leading receivers with uh, like offensive S and P plus production, 
and it found that the best offenses had two leading receivers. Um, the next best was like one leading receiver, one go-to, um, and then it was like three and four. And they said that like it sounds on paper like, oh, it's great, we have all these weapons that can do anything. Uh, but in actuality, you don't have one that stands above the rest. Right. And you need like at least one receiver who does that. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think rushing numbers, and this has kind of been proven by a lot of what Football Outsiders has done, is that football rushing numbers are more determined by the offensive line than by the running back. And so, like in most cases, like. Royce Freeman and Thomas Tyner are exceptional. But if we could have, like, if they didn't have the offensive lines in front of them that they do, they would not be producing. Because they're, exactly. they're fully dependent on the offensive line. And it's just another classic example of why the guys on the O-line are the most underrated, underappreciated guys. Because they, they do all the setup work. I mean, without them, the offense does not run. Right, yeah. You know, you're never going to see them in the stat books or anything, and they're kind of the they're the unsung heroes on the field, right? And so there's evidence of this too because you don't see like any running backs anymore getting big deals. There are a few guys who like transcend the transcend the position in the NFL. That's uh, Adrian Peterson, uh, Lashawn McCoy got paid. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch transcends, and uh, Demarco Murray. Yeah, but even Demarco Murray, like he ran behind one of the best offensive lines in recent NFL memory. Um, Dallas also ran him into the ground, uh, gave him like over 400 carries, which is really dumb. Yeah. But they knew he was going to be going, so whatever, right? Um, so it's like Demarco Murray, uh, Marshawn Lynch, Lashawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson are like the guys who actually are like probably worth the extra pay. Almost everybody, everybody else is pretty interchangeable throughout exactly. the board, and yet you see uh, tackles getting paid a lot. You're seeing guards get paid a lot more. Um, like one of the best players in uh, football right now is the Dallas Cowboys right guard, whose name I'm forgetting right now. He's amazing. Uh, the right guard for the Cowboys. Um, so especially with Stanford and their offense, I think you can have a lot of very good guys. Mm -hmm. But they still, I think, are looking for uh, the one the one guy to really step up. Right, Like, exactly. Royce Freeman was the guy last year. Like, we knew him. And then later, it was kind of like, okay, Thomas Tyner's also at a Royce Freeman level, so that's two. But we very clearly had one before that. And I, I think, you know, I, I think um, one of the, you know, one of, I think one of the big things will be one of the toughest things that we'll have to do, you know, Stanford, they do have to, you talk about the rushing game and how it all starts up front. And they do have to replace Andrews Pete, who is an All-American tackle for them. Mm. But they do have four or five starters coming back. They have nine so, of ten on the two deep coming back. So I think that's absurd. I, I think that's going to be very uh, obviously that'll be very beneficial for them. So it'll be. It, I think the big question mark, you know, you know, Kevin Hogan is going to be solid. Yeah. Um, 
it's really who's going to step up out of that backfield. Um, you know, I, I've read I've read some articles where they're saying that McCaffrey should get the bulk of the carries. Um, last year he had forty two carries, three hundred yards, mm-hmm. no touchdowns. He did have two receiving touchdowns, um, but it yeah, I think that'll be their big question mark on offense is is who's gonna who's gonna with with you know kind of that mix of, okay, we've got this guy who can run for 300 yards and that guy who can run for 400 yards. Who, if anyone, is going to step up and kind of, okay, you're going to be our 1,000-yard guy this year. Mm -hmm. And some of those things, you know, a lot of times those things kind of just develop naturally as the season goes on. Mm -hmm. They lose Ty Montgomery, who was uh, one of the exceptional players on the Pac-12 for the last few years mm-hmm. and he could pretty much do everything uh went to the Packers thanks a lot I was really excited about that pick um but even behind him there's like a lot of people who can fill in and with this being such like a running heavy team and having those offensive linemen back that's going to be huge for their offense like they're going to be so solid on offense the real question and basically what determines how far this team will go is the defense right which only has four people coming back. That's a huge red flag. For, yeah. They led, last year, they led the Pac-12 in total defense, 282.4 yards a game. Um, they all, and they also led, or excuse me, they allowed more than, it was over 100 yards fewer per game than the league's number two defense, which was Utah, which gave up almost 400 yards a game. So their defense was scary good last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, losing losing that many guys, especially up front, um, where they don't really have much experience and much depth left up there, um, that'll kind of be the big question marks surrounding the team. I think offensively, yeah, they'll be fine. They've got Kevin Hogan, and naturally someone should emerge from that backfield. They've got some talented guys back there, but yeah, you lose that many guys on defense, and you, uh, you can't see it, but I'm doing that Marcus Mariota Disneyland interview face. Okay, is that what that is? That's, that's what that is, okay. which is pretty much my reaction to anything that's just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to, yeah, so on FEI, the advanced stat, they were 11th on defense. For S&P Plus on defense, they were 5th, which is amazing. Like, even like even with, like, so with like, like a lot of teams, I was like, okay, Stanford probably plays really slow on offense, so that covers up like their defense. I'm going to look at some other things. Nope, their defense is still exceptional. Um, But last year, they got walled by Oregon. Right. Um, And I really just don't know how much of the defense was because of David Shaw and how much Mm -hmm. was because of Jim Harbaugh. Right. And so this, I think, is one of the... This is like kind of the year where 
we'll figure that out. How much of it was Harbaugh? How much of it was Shaw? They're still doing really well in recruiting. Like, these guys coming out on defense are going to be good. It's just a matter of how, like, good they're going to be, like, within the system, or, like, as a team. So last year they lost. They let uh, Oregon score 45. Uh, Maryland scored 21 in the bowl game. Uh, They only gave up 10 to USC. They gave up 13 to Washington. They lost to Notre Dame, which is still a joke. Uh, They gave up 17, and they gave up 26 to Arizona State. And then they only have four guys coming back. Like, I'm not sure how good that defense is going to be. There's a very distinct possibility that they will be really good. Um, There's a possibility that this is one of those teams where they, like in the Oregon game two years ago, they rely on their offense to basically be their best defense where they just have the longest possessions ever, where I just pray for something to happen, whether it's a score or a turnover, just so I can not watch them on offense anymore. Pretty much what happens, they get the ball, and you know if they, they, if they go up by one or two touchdowns, it's game over, because they're just going to, oh, there's a 10-minute drive right there that you know just milked out any clock that was left over. And right, yeah. Just and so, the, that, you know, the methodical, you know, the um just you know, those methodical drives where they just they would run the ball up, you know, that uh, what was it? ESPN always called it the the phone like the phone booth offense. Oh, they did just, they call it that? It was like yeah, it was like the phone booth formation where basically they had. Um, why am I blanking on Toby Gerhart? That's who I'm thinking of. Um, they basically just like stockpile. They take like two running backs and a fullback in the backfield and just stockpile them back there. Oh, bummer. I've been saying that for years, that it's like playing Stanford is like fighting in a phone booth. That's pretty, yeah. So, you know, demand your royalties from ESPN there, but that's pretty much the way they described it. I'm sure I'll be able to prove that against their army of attorneys. Oh, it'll work for sure. Yeah. And that would just be how they beat you. They just pound the football three, four yards at a time and... Nothing you could do about it. Mm-hmm. And especially because the Oregon defense is so based on speed. Right. Even though we've got a lot bigger front seven now than we did two years ago, it's still based on speed. And so, like, that offense kind of negates it. Like, all these defenses are making moves to get faster, and Stanford is really becoming a counter of that by just having buffet busters. Smash mouth football. Yep. It's like football from the 60s. Uh... So, like, last year, they went 8-5. and five. They lost to USC, Notre Dame, Arizona State, Oregon, and Utah in double overtime. And they had close wins over, and close wins, I'm saying, like, one score over Washington. So, their schedule reads, at Northwestern, hosting UCF, at USC. That was a big game in Week 3. So... I will either be watching that to see... Well, I'm going to be watching to see how these two teams will look against Oregon. And I'm either going to be looking at whether... Uh, what the cushion is we have to win the Pac-12 North or the Pac-12 in order to like, kind of backdoor our way into the national championship if we lose. Or if we win, seeing basically how the other conference is looking. Um, so they're at USC. Quick turnaround to play at Oregon State on a Friday. 
then they're hosting Arizona. They have a bye, then they play UCLA on a Thursday after the bye. Host Washington at Washington State, hosting Colorado at Oregon, uh, hosting Oregon, hosting Cal, hosting Notre Dame. So those last November, Sands Colorado is going to be tough. But it, they have a all, really. It sl- always seems like that for the good teams that November is is really when you get tested. Yeah, what it's, the hell, you know, Pac-12? Come, come on, on out. give it. Give us Georgia State in the middle of November. Come on. Man. Yeah, we need to be like an SEC team and just put those games in the end. They, they do it the legitimate way. They don't. Yeah. They don't take any rest weeks. They schedule those tough, tough opponents at the at the, the end crucial part of the season. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, they get USC early, and then two weeks they're at USC. Two weeks later, they're hosting Arizona. They're hosting UCLA, hosting Washington, hosting Oregon, hosting Cal. Like, their only tough road game is USC. That's a schedule. So that, yeah, that's a huge yeah. part of the schedule. Uh, That'll be, uh, yeah, so that U- that that early early test about against USC, that'll be huge then. Yeah, I mean, at that if they beat USC, it's Notre Dame and Oregon basically for the Pac-12. I think at that point, although I could be getting my head ahead of myself, giving how loaded the SEC, or the SEC, the Pac-12 South is, which I think gives the SEC West a run for their money in terms of like deepest conference, but the right. SEC West just at the top is much yeah. better. In the South over there, you can make the case that five out of those six teams could make a run of the division. But um, okay, well now we so have to look at this. Okay, so I'm gonna go. I'm looking up the SEC West right now, and let's see. Let me take a look. The SEC West has. See, this is where it's gonna look dumb. Alabama, LSU, Auburn. Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. I think you can make for any of those teams winning yeah, that division. There's really not, yeah, there's not a bad team on paper in that division. Texas A&M, like two years removed from a national title run, is sixth. Projected to be sixth. Arkansas was like 0-12 three years ago. Uh, and now they're going to be fifth. Like Auburn, who, spoiler alert, I'm I'm probably going to be picking to lose to Ohio State in the national championship game, is third. Like that's crazy. So much depth down there in the SEC. It's it's nuts. And at one point too, it's like okay, there's so many SEC homers just chanting it, but it's like. They're so good. That conference is just so ridiculous. But it's they they have the they have the talent to back it up. So right, yeah. All right, let's move on to. Okay, who do you have third? I will go third. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna agree with the uh, the writers again and say California. Oh yeah, Cal for sure. They have 18 guys coming. Or 18. 18 guys coming back on offense, which explains why they were so good last year. <laughs> they have eight guys coming back on offense, nine coming back on defense. They were really hurt by injuries last year. Um, 
but their quarterback, uh, what's his name? Jared, Jared Goff, Goff is most likely a first-round draft pick. Uh, Sonny Dykes is now fully loaded with his offense and defense, and this is a team that basically was in a shootout with Texas A&M for a long, in like one of the most ridiculous shootouts ever. Hashtag Bear Raid, which is my favorite nickname for an offense ever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, their schedule is hosting Grambling State, which is, I love all Grambling of, State. All of 10,000 people will pack Memorial Stadium for that game. I love Grambling State, though. Because uh, when they play Florida A&M, it's just <laughs> fantastic. It's one of my favorite games of the year. Um, they host San Diego State. They're at Texas, which is going to be a great non-conference game. Yep. Charlie Strong's second year. They're at Washington the next week. Uh, hosting Washington State, off, uh, who is coming off a bye. Then they're at Utah, who is coming off a bye. Then they have a bye themselves before at UCLA on a Thursday. And I think UCLA is taking a short week that week. Um, then hosting USC at Oregon, hosting Oregon State at Stanford, hosting Arizona State. That is a rough last six games. Everyone's getting just beat up at the end. Yeah. That's nuts. That's yeah. not. And that's not. It'll be really goal. interesting to see how they finish the year this year compared to last year. Because last year, early in the year, they looked like they were going to make a run, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they had a really good start, and then they just spontaneously combusted and just kind of shit the bed at the end of the year. They lost six of their last seven games. Right. And and he, here are the scores. Here are the scores. Well, they lost. 31 to 7 to Washington. How Cow only scored 7 against that defense is a mystery. Um lost to UCLA 34-36, lost to Oregon 41-59, and they were hanging in tough against that, Oregon that for one a was, long time. That one was one of those games where it was closer than it looks on paper. Yeah. Well, they had the uh they were going they did some cool stuff with their uh, quarterbacks. They were running a couple quarterbacks in. They played yep. on a few downs. They had both quarterbacks in at the same time. Um, they had a really solid game plan going into that. They were doing some funky stuff and I was... It, it, if I didn't have a dog in that fight, it would have been thoroughly enjoyable to watch. But oh, yeah. Instead, it was kind of making me pull my hair out. Uh-huh. Beat Oregon State 45-31, then lost to USC 30-38, lost to Stanford set- 1738 lost to BYU 35-42. The only one I'm upset about is the BYU game. <laughs> for reasons I won't go into on this podcast. Uh so it's a lot of it's a lot of games that really could have gone either way. It's just a lot of those close losses and and you know you you never really know where the program could have gone had you know some of those gone the other way. Right. And so looking at their top receivers Kenny Lawler, 54 receptions. Steven Anderson, 46 receptions. Chris Harper is the only receiver they lose. 52 receptions. He was their third receiver. Bryce Treggs, 52 receptions. Just for comparison, only one Stanford receiver had over 30, uh, had over 40. Bear raid offense, baby. Yeah. On Oregon, only one player had over 43 receptions, and that was Byron Marshall, 
who very sneakily, 74 receptions for 1,003 yards. Right? Who saw that one coming? That is amazing. <laughs> the quietest 1,000-yard receiving season in the history of college football. Like, nobody, nobody is aware of this. Coming. Nobody, nobody even knows this, I don't think. That Byron Marshall was our leading receiver last Every year. Every time I go into the stats from last year and I look at the receivers, and I was like, oh, yeah, Byron Marshall, that was a thing. Not only was Byron Marshall a thing, he almost doubled the next guy in receptions. Who's Dwayne Stanford? Again, another one of those natural developments, and they moved him out of a crowded backfield and let him blossom in that slot position. God, such a smart move. Our coaches so, are so smart. Yeah. Jared Goff already passed for almost 7,500 yards, 53 touchdowns. He could own Cal's career records in those categories by midseason, and he's only a junior. Yeah, which so, includes Aaron Rodgers. Although he would, he's he, a, Aaron Rodgers he's only decent, there for a couple years. He's a decent quarterback. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the only the only question is going to be whether the defense can stay healthy. They lose the defensive tackle and their strong safety. That's it on defense. Yeah, is they just have to make a couple plays. Like their offense is so amazing. Like, and they're so geared towards offense in a way I don't even think Oregon is. Um, but they're like so heavily dependent on it. Yeah. Um, last year, the last year Cal gave up sixty-one touchdowns, allowing each of its final ten opponents all scored at least thirty-one points. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah, that's the big again, like Stanford. That's the big question. Their bare rate offense will be fine, but. So last year, Bears, they, they allowed 42 touchdown passes, which is the most ever by a Power 5 team. So it's like, you know, you can't... Your defense has got to tighten up eventually. You can't you can't just, you know, pull an Oregon or a Baylor and say, oh, well, if we just score 45, 55 points a game, we'll be fine. Right, and I think one of the pluses that will help them carry this through is that almost everyone on their defense is a senior. Yeah. Which is going to suck next year. Uh, but they're... So this, I mean, if they want to make a run, and I'm not, I'm not saying that they would, that they would challenge Oregon or anything like that, but I think they could, they could make a run at that number two spot and get into a pretty respectable bowl game if everything comes together. Well, I think Cal has a good chance of beating. I think they have a f- reasonable to fair chance of beating Oregon. I would agree with that. I would. Uh, and I would say if the game was in Berkeley, those chances would be a little bit higher. Not because if any of you listening have ever been to Memorial Stadium, new or old, new. It does not matter. They're both terrible. It, new is a very loose term there. Um, and by new, it just means that they are stopping it from falling apart. Pretty much because it's literally built on a fault line, which is kind of my favorite fun fact. Um, yeah, they put all that money into it. It's just going to get no swallowed, bathrooms swallowed up by the big one. No bathrooms. If you've if you've ever been to a game at Memorial Stadium, it is it's about as intimidating as a box full of puppies. Uh, they never sell out games, even for big games. There's thousands of empty seats. Well, it's like it's like Stanford. 
I don't yeah. think it's that big of a school, and they just don't care about football. It's it, everyone's doing every. It's just one of those schools where the education is so much more important that everyone's literally just studying and doing homework instead. Yeah. Meanwhile, Oregon yeah. is relatively a beer and circus school at this point. <laughs> I'm not. It's I'm half joking. Like Animal House has come to life. I'm half joking when I say that too. <laughs> um. But for whatever reason, any time we go to Berkeley, just weird stuff goes down. Oh, it's the Twilight Zone. It's just a weird game every time. It's a Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, so, yeah, take a look at this. In uh, Santa Clara at 49er Stadium, uh, they lost 41-59 to 59 to Oregon. At Oregon, lost 16-55. Uh, to 55. Uh, okay, maybe that is an example. Twenty twelve, where they lost seventeen fifty nine. Uh, like in twenty ten, which was like the last time they hosted Oregon. Oh, that was the thirteen uh, fifteen. That, that was the nine minute drive game. Yeah, that was the one where they would have what either tied or taken the lead on the field goal, and they missed. They, oh, the false start by the kicker. The, the false start, and he. Yeah, he the kicker false started and he hit that first field goal and then he redid it and he shanked it. Right. Oh my god, that was the Cliff Harris. Uh, the cl- yep. That was the yeah. That was the Cliff Harris the, punt return. The Cliff RIP. Harris game, yeah. Because that yeah, that was what. That was our only off. That was our, that only, was our only offensive scored. touchdown. Yeah. Or that was our only touchdown that game. Again, weird things happen in Berkeley. Yeah, it is. And that was that was the year that we had the uh the perfect regular season. Yes, it was. Man, that game had so many close ones. Uh though that year did. Um Which anytime you've got a perfect season, it's just like you're there's so much luck involved. You've gotta have you've gotta be lucky so many times for that. The biggest example, Auburn two years ago that played Florida State. They had the game against Georgia which was like a Hail Mary that redirected off a Georgia helmet. Yep. And then there was the kick six. Still one of, still perhaps my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments ever in college football. That was just so amazing. I was just watching that in my apartment and I literally could not believe what was happening in front of my eyes. I remember all the sports writers at the time to during football season I'll have like the biggest sports writers or my favorites sent to my phone. Yeah. Uh and I remember just all of them were just they all just had like three dots or they had just all they had written was what? <laughs> and god that play. Um yeah, so Cal especially on defense, they have taken their lumps. Their defensive line like they're experienced at every position. Mm-hmm. They have like a, a on paper, they have the maturity factor. They have three seniors on the defensive line. They have one senior linebacker, and they have two seniors in the secondary. So this is kind of their go for broke season. Yeah, it's and, all or nothing. Yeah, and offense are very senior heavy. They're, they only have one sophomore projected on the two deep. He's the kicker. So this kickers, is this is basically people too. No, uh, no. Um, their experience, they're gonna be, they're gonna be solid. It's, it's scary. They're gonna, they're gonna beat teams this year yeah. that they really have. I think they could beat UCLA because that's on a Thursday night. UCLA has a, has a short week. 
Uh, then they have an extra couple of days for USC. I hope they beat both those teams because then they might be on a little bit of a little bit of a high. Um, but I think they're going to trounce Texas. So, um, any other comments on Cal? We believe they're going to be scary good. I believe they're going to be scary good. They're going to be scary. Be, uh, you know, I, I might go. Um, might go check out some games with my my impending move to San Francisco here. Yes. Living in living in the city by the bay in Cal territory, or I don't I don't I don't know what direction they swing in in San Francisco. I think it's kind of split 50-50. 49ers, I think. Yeah, I don't think anybody is like, oh yeah, I'm a big Stanford. Well, nobody's I, like, I'm a big Stanford fan. Crickets, man. But yeah, I might I might uh, might go try and catch a couple couple big games because I know even the big games I can probably scoop up like a $10 ticket at the last moment. I think they just give them away outside the stadium. Pretty much. Um. Alright. Yeah. I can't praise Cal high enough. I think they're going to be so scary. That should be um, fun. Who do you have fourth? This is where things get a little up in the air. Yeah. This is where because we've got Washington, Washington State, and Oregon State left yes. over. I, it's a toss up. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take this one. Okay, I think. Oh man, I'm looking at. Oh man, this is tough. Because none of these guys' schedules are very favorable. I had a team picked out coming in, and now I'm kind of backtracking on it. I'm gonna stick to the team I thought. Uh. I think it's going to be Washington. Chris Peterson in his second year is going to be great. I think the defense is going to take a step back even further now that they don't have three first-round talent, yeah, first-round players on the team. Uh, they only have four guys back. On offense, they're going to have five guys back. Um, They've got an unexpected quarterback battle to deal with. Right, because Siler Miles left, who was very dynamic. Um they lose Shaq Thompson, who is like the new Miles Jack. They have their top four receivers back. Um, and Jaden Mickens was. But, man, that's even tough. So here's the schedule. They're at Boise State on Friday, which is uh, day two of the college football weekend that I'm just so, so happy about. We are so close. Um, host Sacramento State, host Utah State. If we're talking about guys who just won't graduate, Chucky Keaton is the starting quarterback for Utah State. Chucky Keaton. Chucky Keaton was one of the... He almost led a comeback against... uh, Chucky Keaton almost led a comeback against Auburn. Um... The year after they won the national championship, and it was if it wasn't for an onside kick uh, that went bad, they would have won that game. Uh, they host California. All right, we lost Sean for a little bit, so we're going to start again at the beginning of the schedule. They're at Boise State on Friday to open up the season. So it's Smurf like turf. Yeah, so it's one of the games like that's early enough that I'm just going to watch and be so happy and excited about. Chris Peterson's first game back at Boise State. 
I feel like Boise State has just like they're just not a thing anymore. They're not because their conference has basically pulled them out um, of the playoffs. They just won't have the schedules anymore. Yeah, they basically need to force themselves into a conference, or they say like, uh, like one of the things they say is like, oh, we're not going to go to it, go to a game unless they do a home and home. Right. That's what they have to do at this point, though. If they want to stay relevant, they have to like manufacture a tough schedule. Like all their out of conference games need to be against like top twenty five teams and probably on the road because there's no incentive for any team to go there. Which is just, I mean, it's brutal to do that too. Yeah, and so they like. So let's just take a quick look. Um. Boise State, hosting Washington at BYU, hosting Idaho State at Virginia, hosting Hawaii at Colorado State at Utah State, hosting Wyoming at UNLV, hosting New Mexico Air Force, and then at San Jose State. That is a putrid schedule. They have two good games. So boring to be a Boise State fan. They have two good games. Hosting Washington and at BYU. They have, uh, like, the Virginia game is meaningless. Uh... I don't even know what the rest of the out-of-conference games are. Um, Utah State is in conference. Air Force, all like all the rest of the games are in conference. Um, yeah, they need a they need a break out of that. Yeah. To, so to, to begin with, they host Idaho State, um, which is not in conference. Mm-hmm. But if they really want to make a run, they need to like host Washington. Um, BYU is not in conference, so BYU is fine though. But they need to be going, like, traveling to Big 12. Like, they should be, like, playing against TCU, um, like, Arkansas, and, like, a Florida State or something like that. Which is very difficult, but that's what they have to do at this point. Yeah, it's just a harsh reality. Yeah. So back to Washington. Hosting Boise State. Oh, no, at Boise State. Hosting Sacramento State. Uh, if we're talking about guys who have been in college forever, do you know who the quarterback is for Utah State? Uh, I do not. Chucky Keaton. Been, been around the block a few times? He has been in college forever. Like, he first broke onto the scene in 2011. Man, 2011. That was my... Uh... Oh, man, that was my start of my junior year in college. That, yeah. That... That feels like a lifetime ago, and it yeah. was not, and it feels like forever ago. Yeah, so I kind of said this before uh, while you were cut out, but we're just going to go over this again for your reaction. So Auburn, after winning the national title, Cam Newton-less, uh, they hosted Utah State. Utah State almost beat, they were leading most of the game. And it, like wasn't, it looked like Utah State was going to beat the reigning national champions. That's impressive. Yeah. Although it turns out uh, Malzahn was much more important to Auburn than Gene Chizik was. Of course. Yeah. Um, Gene Chizik, who led Auburn to like a 3-2 and two win over Mississippi State. That's right. Auburn scored every point in the game and only won by one. Hell yeah. Yeah. Burned that game. Along with the 2009 Alamo Bowl between Oregon State and Pitt. Oh, God. Uh 
that game. I remember looking on my phone, driving back from the Holiday Bowl, and thinking like, "Oh, my phone is broken. They had like, there's nothing happening in this game." Um. So, uh, so Washington gets California at home. They get a bye before they play USC on Thursday. They host Oregon at Stanford. Host Arizona. Host Utah at Arizona State. At Oregon State. Then they host Washington State on a Friday. I think they'll beat Washington State. I think they'll beat Oregon State, which is why I picked them uh, to beat uh, to be above those two teams. And then they get Arizona and Utah at home and Cal. Uh, maybe they surprise USC and Stanford. Their win, their losses last year were to Stanford, Oregon, Arizona State, UCLA, and Arizona. They always, they always seem, they seem to be one of those teams that's always good for a fun upset somewhere in there. Yeah, well, the fun ups, almost upset last year was they beat Hawaii seventeen to sixteen. I remember that because uh, I was praying so hard because I'm also a huge Hawaii fan. Because that was the one where Siler Siler Miles was suspended. was suspended for that one. Yep. And now Washington finds themselves in a they're in an unexpected quarterback battle after he. Uh, Re- he retired this offseason due to a chronic hip injury. Mm-hmm. So now they've got to scramble to find a quarterback, and they're choosing between redshirt freshman KJ Carta Samuels, not Carter, Carta, and true freshman Drake, Jake Browning. Is Jeff Lundquist not in the running? Not, not that I've seen. But huh. I could be mistaken. Huh. Well, I think between those two would be KJ Carter Samuels. He was the offensive scout team player of the year last year when he was redshirting. Um Ground game should be a little bit safer. They've got Dwayne Washington back there. Correct. Um Six Unfortunately, two twenty one, that's a big boy. Here's the cause for concern. And I think they could drop the Boise State game because they have one returning player on the offensive line, which is their yep. left guard. Dexter Charles is the only guy back. Yeah, that could be problematic because the offensive line really needs like two to three games to gel. Yeah. Um, and like especially early on in the year, like the first couple games, both lines are so important to have. Like you can like I know one of the things that uh, Vegas betters would do for a while uh, before the casinos caught on the sports books caught on to it and like took away that advantage from them. The sharps would bet more on the teams with more offensive and defensive linemen returning because they were at a far superior level of performance than they've already gelled. Because they had already gelled and would be much more prepared than the offensive lines with a lot of new people. Right. So if if you're if you have a local bookie, I suggest you stop betting illegally, uh, and do something legal like travel to another country or move to Nevada. Sound life advice here on Sling and Quack. Yeah, don't be a felon or don't commit felonous acts. Um, I believe, like, given the nature of the laws, you can even get around it in some ways. But I'm not a lawyer. I wouldn't recommend doing that. Uh, but I think at Boise State, they could easily drop that one. Yeah. Um. But they have 
a better schedule, and I think they're going to have much better coaching this year. I think in Chris Peterson's second year, he's going to be much better off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, their uh, wins last year were uh, at Hawaii, uh, hosting Eastern Washington, Illinois, Georgia State, at Cal, at Cal- Colorado, hosting Oregon State, and at Washington State. The only good win out of that is California, and that's when they held uh, Cal to seven points. I, I mean, the only thing is I just don't feel that Washington State or Oregon State are going to be solid this year. Yeah, I think it's kind of that thing where you know you you just you slot the Huskies in at you know at third, um, fourth, fourth. That's right. Just you have a better idea just, of what you're getting. Just yeah, just because it, there's just uh, you know Washington State and Oregon State, they're kind of the uh, the doormats of the of the division. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it'll be. I mean, but it could go the other way too, because I mean, if if Washington is always just a mediocre team, yeah, and they had that that defense last year with what three first round draft picks three first round draft picks and now they're just doing a complete makeover Mm -hmm. and they're moving to more of a 3-4 alignment yeah they were kind of in a 3-4 last year yeah um, but they had like a hybrid player right I think it's a little it's supposed to be a little bit more of a true 3-4 this year so it brings up the question if they can stop anyone on the ground which makes me want to think that Royce Freeman is going to run for 300 yards against him. Mm-hmm. And they're in a very, perfect world. Yeah, and they're very inexperienced in the linebacker and defensive line. Yeah. Lost and we get them October Johnson 17th. And Jack Thompson, only guy back is full-time starter coming back, Travis Freeney, Feeney? third season. Feeney? Feeney? Yeah. Travis uh, Feeney. And Buda Baker. Although I believe Buda Baker has some off-field issues. I'm not sure. I remember reading he might have. I just assume that anyone not named Marcus Mariota has off-field issues. Yeah, whether public or not. Um, Yeah, I, th- I could easily see Washington dropping a few games that they should not. Yeah. Especially at Oregon State. Um, who do you have fifth? Fifth, I'm. It's the it's the toss up of who's gonna suck a little bit less. I have a theory that like determined it for me. I I want to hear your theory. Uh, it's going Washington State. I have fifth because mostly because they host Oregon State, mm-hmm. and uh, they are in the same offense as they were last year. They have eight guys back on offense, six on defense. Meanwhile, Oregon State is switching to a spread, and they have exclusively been a pro team for a long time, and they're replacing like the best quarterback they've ever had since Todd Baker, um, who played in the 60s. Uh, and they only returned two guys on defense, although that might be for the best because their defense was terrible last year. <laughs> It was so bad. Uh, yeah, at Hawaii they gave up thirty to you gave up thirty five to USC, 
31 to Colorado, Oof. 38 to Stanford, 45 to Cal, 39 to Washington State, and a loss. Uh, somehow, this was a joke from last year. They beat Arizona State. That's amazing. That and Arizona State's always just one of those like one of those teams that's just like on the verge of breaking through. Yeah. I mean we'll get to them next week, but that they are scary this year. Yeah. Um give up thirty seven to Washington and then forty seven to Oregon. That is not good. Uh, that might be better for a team that scores a lot, like Cal. Yeah, that's the only like Cal or Oregon would be like the teams that could justify that and get away with that but yeah but they are not those teams washington state eight guys back on offense six on defense uh their offense is very predicated on getting the ball out quickly which is very beneficial for a new quarterback they lose connor halliday who was man that guy was that guy was so good not just because of like the numbers he put up but he played through so many injuries, came back so many times, had so many like heroic efforts during games. Yeah. Did you ever see his like heartbreaking tweet when he went down for the year? I think I I, I saw that and I was just like, oh it, man, it that's such the, a terrible way to go. Feels up. man. Yeah, it reminded me the last time I felt that bad was for a player that wasn't on Oregon was when Army lost to Navy. And Army's quarterback was like Tim Tebow White. Like, he was superhuman in their team. Yeah. And Army has not been competitive at all with Navy for like a couple decades now. And every year, Army had gotten a little bit closer to beating Navy. All like by the help of like pretty much mostly because of this one player, their quarterback. And they're coming back and they're about to go up with like a minute left. Uh, like they have the ball in the 20 after recovering a fumble or something and they're about to go up and it's going to be awesome and Army's going to win and beat Navy and this guy's going to have like a storybook ending and they hand he hands the ball off on a zone read and the running back gets the first down and so now they're inside the 10 mm-hmm. except before going down the running back fumbles the football oh. and Navy gets it back and runs out the clock and this guy was so heartbroken on the sidelines, and I was even—it was getting a little dusty in my room. Like I felt right. so bad for this guy. Um, but the bright side is, like, this new quarterback has got like a starting running back back. Uh, they have to replace their top two receivers, Vince Mayo and Isaiah Myers. Do you think Cal throws the football a lot? Uh, Washington State has four guys who had over 60 receptions. Vince Mayo had 106 receptions. That is absurd. 106 106 receptions for... 1,483 yards. There you go. That's amazing. Isaiah Myers had 78 catches and 12 touchdowns. Yes. It's Uh, just because... A lot of this is because Connor Holiday put up, like, video game numbers. Oh, yeah. Um, Guess... This is one of my favorite stats. Uh... Guess how many rushing yards they averaged per game. Uh, I'm going to say like 25. You are close. It's 40, which is surprisingly high. I'm blown away by that. Well, at least you know how to prepare for them. 
Right. I remember against Auburn a couple years ago when they were at Auburn in 2014 or 2013. They were at like negative rushing yards, like minus 14 near the end of the game. Yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, unfortunately, there's no witty name for their offense, but um, they've got the Luke, pirate ship. The Mike Leach is is just my spirit animal. I swear, if they fire Mike Leach, I will be so mad because he is so much fun in the conference. Like honestly, who else are they gonna get though? Who yeah, else are they gonna get? Exactly, and uh, so they've got. They've got Luke Falk coming in, who he he filled in unexpectedly last year when Holiday went down against USC. Uh-huh. Threw for 346 yards and two touchdowns. He won his first start, threw five touchdowns at Oregon State, and so you know they're they're not they're not bringing in a guy who's like completely new to the whole offense. He right. has some experience, and so that'll help. They're bringing back their top two running backs and <laughs> which for, who basically just protect right um they're just they're there as a formality yeah and they uh, have all five of their linemen coming back yeah which <laughs> I, I mean that it's more about you know it's not about well that opens up the running game it's more about well that's going to give Falk some protection back there and correct he's going to get a lot of help yeah which will i mean that makes you know, I've never played football before, but you give me an elite offensive line and give me time to throw, I might be able to I can find someone who's open now, whether I can get it to him or not, that's that'll be up for debate. Yes. But I can get it to him. So give your quarterback time, it's all he needs. Right. And they're losing a lot of their uh six of their starters from last year, but it's a lot of people from their two deep who are just moving up the depth chart. Yeah. Um shouldn't be I mean it can't be much worse than last year so it has to get better it has to in in theory uh, in theory I oh man I want it while we're on the subject of of Washington State I'm trying to find that yes the college football drunk spectrum from every day should be Saturday oh which, uh, also, Mike Leach is still advocating for the 64 team playoff. Of <laughs> He's still a strong advocate of that. Of course. So you have different levels of drunk on this spectrum. Uh-huh. At the bottom, you've got BYU. Right. At because the top, you've got Wisconsin. And right near the top, you've got Washington State. Fireball, the official drink of Washington State. If you have ever had the pleasure of going out and drinking with a Coug... It's un- it, it's unbelievable. It's a magical experience because win or lose, Coog still booze. So here's here's what every day should be Saturday says about Wazoo level drunk. <laughs> There's this story about Swedes. A woman from Stockholm told us it says quote these Swedes everything is fine and everything is good. And then one day, Uncle Ollie runs drunk and screaming into the woods in the dead of winter after burning his house down. Then he comes back a week later and says, everything is fine. This is Wazoo football every Saturday. <laughs> and there is never a more accurate description of Coog football than that sentence right there. Well, I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere. 
like legit the middle if of nowhere. You, if you've never had the distinct honor and pleasure of driving through Pullman, Washington. And you mean that in the most sarcastic way possible. I'm most sarcasm is an understatement here. Um, Then you are one of the lucky ones if you have So you you fly into Spokane and then you drive through the scenic Palouse and you've got nothing but rolling hills and just vast emptiness like a place where if you got lost you might actually lose your mind yeah and then it'll be like a donner party out of pretty that's pretty much what would go down suddenly out of the hills emerges the sleepy town of pullman washington and i went on a campus tour there when i was touring schools you i can i considered Washington State because they had a great broadcast journalism program and I remember the defining moment that I said no this isn't happening is so I asked on the campus tour so what do people do for fun in Pullman and being the campus ambassador he could not give the honest answer which was drink heavily and (laughs) burn down your house and run into the woods and scream that everything is fine but instead he said well people go to Moscow I was like, the hell? And I'm thinking Russia, right? And I was like, what's Moscow? He goes, well, it's a town about eight miles down the road in Idaho. And so we're like, all right, we got to go check out this Moscow and see what's there. Well, they had they had a pancake house and they had a Walmart. And that was about it. Basically, like, imagine going on a campus tour at UO and saying, like, like let's just pretend that Eugene sucks and there's nothing to do. And saying, so what do kids do for fun in Eugene? It would basically be the equivalent of the, the guy on the tour being like, well, they go to Springfield. <laughs> they go to Gateway Mall, you know. That's 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 Pullman in a nutshell for that's you. That's awful. I heard, I heard Amazon Prime doesn't even ship there. No one ships there. I made that up, but it was believable. Um, I heard a rumor that they don't have recruits visit after like mid October, <laughs> and that, I'm not making that up. I heard they like will not have people after like mid October because it just sucks. They're and just you can kind of, you can kind of hide some stuff when it's like September, mid October. Pretty colors and yeah, you know yeah. Uh, let's go to our last team because we're approaching like an hour and a half on this podcast uh oregon state oregon state is on the way up they have gary anderson from wisconsin who is exceptional exceptional uh he came over from utah state uh where he led chucky keaton and the utah state team to like an amazing record far surpassing what utah state should do went to wisconsin killed it but then left because apparently their AD, who was like a great uh, Wisconsin coach who led some of like their best teams, is an over-demanding athletic director. And he still like coaches their bowl games when coaches leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, he hired Gary Anderson to come be the head coach. And then when Gary Anderson got there, the AD was basically like, okay, you're still going to run like the I formation. Which is the opposite of what Gary Anderson does. Which is like the most pro offense ever. Yeah. Is the it's, I formation. Right. Actually, it's like more of a West Coast single back now, but it's the opposite of 
like Utah State's spread them yeah. and shred them philosophy. So that went terribly. He left. Now at Oregon State, that whole Oregon State sending Mike Riley to Nebraska and getting Gary Anderson is the weirdest week in college football I can remember that happened in the offseason. I just always assumed that for the rest of my life, Mike Riley would coach Oregon State. Yeah, and he's already getting nice guy comments in the Big in the Big Ten. Of course. Of course, because he's a nice guy. Because I remember the whole, like, it was, it was a best-case scenario for Oregon State. Because they wouldn't fire Mike Riley. Because, A, people really liked him. B, he had a few great seasons. C, they didn't know who they who else they could get. Like, they kind of upgraded their facilities, but they're in a state that doesn't have a lot of players coming out. Right. They have to compete against Oregon, and they're in, like, a really competitive conference. Like, it's not a good place to coach. Like, it's a place where, like, coordinators will go to get their first head coaching job before moving on, and Mike Riley gives some stability. Mm-hmm. So him going to Nebraska what's the best case scenario and then Gary Anderson steps in and that's like an upgrade that's an upgrade you just you assume when Mike Riley leaves that you're just gonna have a coach that's just not as good as him and and then it's like what Gary Anderson what is happening right I was like why is this happening and then I went to like every website I could find and apparently it's the AD yeah so yep they're going to that up-tempo spread system Dave Baldwin new new offensive coordinators coming in mm-hmm. and so coming out of at a spring ball uh, Beavers had three players with no college experience vying for the starting quarterback job mm-hmm. trying to replace Sean Mannion mm-hmm. and that would be redshirt freshman Nick Mitchell Marcus McMarion and true freshman early enrollee Seth Collins. Right. So quarterback could be a little dicey. Uh, that is the nice way of putting it. Because th- these aren't studs coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, luckily, they have some weapons, so they're not kind of like on their own. Storm Woods, who was quietly one of the better running backs in the conference. Yep. Um, then they have uh, pretty much their entire offensive line coming back, ex- except for one um which is great because uh, that's like one of the most important parts um on defense they only have two coming back their schedule is hosting Weber State terrible they always have an FCS team and they almost always are close to losing last year hosted Portland State won 29-14 that game was close the entire game until Portland State or until Oregon State pulled it out, out at the end Hosted Eastern Washington the year before that. Lost 46-49. to That was a Vernon Adams-led team. Um, in 2011, they lost to Sacramento State in overtime, 28-29. That was bad. I remember that one. Right, so their wins last year were over Portland State, Hawaii on the road, which is tough because it's Hawaii and players don't want to practice then. Uh, hosting San Diego State at Colorado, and get this, beating Arizona State at home. There you go. Yeah. Um, They lost to Washington State, Cal, Stanford, Utah in double overtime, USC, Washington, and Oregon. So I think they're going to have a lot of problems replacing Sean Mannion, who covered up for a lot of issues. 
Yep. They have a couple solid weapons. Their offensive line coming back is fantastic. Uh, and their defense, like we said, like Washington State couldn't get much worse. If Oregon State gets worse, like the world will end. Like a <laughs> meteor will hit because the universe is broken at that point and black holes will be inversed. There's just nothing else that can be There's done at that point. There's nothing else in the world that can happen. Like, they gave up 406 yards a game. God, that's And 32 points. And this is with a mediocre offense. Like, yeah. Okay, I'm going to look be, up. It'll be really interesting to see yeah. how they install a new offense with a new quarterback. That just sounds like disaster waiting to happen. Right. So their defensive S&P Plus was 73 so I guess it could technically get worse, but not easily. Um, let me look at their defensive FEI. Are they even on here? They have to be on here. 81st.176. That's bad. Yeah. They are next to Cincinnati, Western Kentucky, and Washington State. Yeah, that'll be... Yeah, Wolf is right. And let's see. They have their FEIs, 0.176 on defense. Like, the only guys worse... Wow, Purdue minus 0.026. I didn't even know that was possible. (laughs) Uh, The defensive guys that they're similar to are... um, Kentucky, Cincinnati... Uh, slightly better than Washington State. Uh, they're by Georgia Southern, so heads up, Ducks. Uh, Colorado. UAB, which is now defunct. And then a little bit better than Ball State. Uh, a little bit worse than Indiana, Central Michigan. And then, I mean, Purdue is hopeless. And this is their defense? Yes. Yeah, so they're... Got a new cor- not got a new defensive coordinator. Move into a three four base, and yeah, so it'll be it, it's a it's a season of there. There's a whole lot of new stuff going on in in Corvallis, and that can be exciting, but it can also lead to disaster, and it could lead to a a transition year. I think this is going to be an exciting season. I yeah. think this is a season of hope. It and it, that's the thing is that when you have like a whole fresh staff come in and fresh faces, it kind of does give you hope. It's like, all right, we've got a clean slate, and that's the glorious thing about the return of college football is that it's that old cliche: everyone's undefeated. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. Where even the team is projected to finish last place, they. They all have the same record the first weekend of the year. Yeah, they have a real chance of surprising people. Like, they host UCLA November 7th. And they're one of those teams that, like, again, like like we were saying about, like, Washington earlier, they always seem to come away with, like, a really fun surprise upset win somewhere. Yeah, they're at Michigan September Ooh. 12th. They host Stanford on a Friday, September 25th. They host UCLA November 7th. 
and they host Washington November 21st. They will win one of those games. Yeah. Like, Washington State, winnable. Colorado, winnable. Uh, Weber State and San Jose State, they're going to beat. I would be so down for... I would be so down for them going into the big house and winning just for no other reason than A, go Pac-12, and B, just to see that, like, utter look of disgust and confusion on Jim Harbaugh's face. That would be so funny. Because they beat Wisconsin two years ago at Wisconsin. And that was not a good team. So, man, this team... They're... In four, three to four years, I think they will legitimately be competitive with uh, yeah. the Pac-12 North. I, and think they, this, they I think cr- this year will be a year where they kind of like, this is kind of like the okay, like, it's kind of like, it's like opposite of Cal. Cal is like the, this is our one open window, so we've got to go for it all. Oregon State, this is like the, okay, let's, we've got all this new, we've got new faces everywhere new systems offensively and defensively let's like figure it all out this year and and then you know you'll get guys like whoever they wind up at with quarterback at you know you get these guys who will like get experience as time goes on and give it two three years and they can climb the ranks yeah they're going to be scary in a few years how far away do you think they're two to three years away from beating beating oregon because that's it that's a streak that's and a lot of like Oregon is building up some streaks against Pac-12 North schools like Washington it's been 11 years Washington State it's been like 7 or 8 years Oregon State's been like in that same boat I think like 2007 was the last time OSU won so there's a lot of... Oh, yeah, like, when everybody was injured. We were basically playing with our second and third team offense. Yeah. Justin Roper oh, was the starting... Was finished after Cody Kemp went out with a concussion. Good Lord. That was the first game we also saw Jeff Mayo at receiver. Jeff Mayo. Jeff Mayo converted over from free safety because we were so short on wide receivers. Well, that panned out nicely. It did, yeah. But also, when he was the best, when he was the best receiver on that 2010 team, it becomes very apparent how good Darren Thomas was a quarterback. The most underrated our Oregon quarterback, I think we have. Darren Thomas. Yeah, he gets zero love from anybody because he was the guy who left early and afraid that he was going to get replaced by Brian Bennett. He was just yeah, in like someone told him hey you're good enough to get drafted and that was just not the case at all he really struggled because his delivery was so slow oh yeah that's that's the last i've heard of him is like he's with the portland thunder now thunder and i think he's like injured and out for the year or something yeah it's rough it's you know you know how good portland thunder marketing is though how how good are they uh, I will be flipping through the channels. And be like, oh yeah, we have a, we have an AFL team. I totally <laughs> forgot. <laughs> oh yeah, that. I had I had to think that they were named the Thunder. Unbelievable. 
what is what is the Portland Thunder doing? I don't know. Um, all right, we are officially at like about an hour and a half on this. We appreciate those of you who have stayed with us. Yeah, time. if you make it this far, you're a champ. Where you had a terrible, terrible commute. So, although on the bright side, I think this is very thorough. It was very thorough, and we've got a whole other division to do next week, and that'll be. We might have to break that up into two parts. That the Pac-12 South is so ridiculous that that's going to be that maybe a two-parter. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for Sean and I. That's Sean Larson. I'm Rusty Ryan. See you guys next week for probably two different parts.